Hi, I'm Nicole. And I'm Robin. And welcome to this Books That Burn interview with our guest. Would you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Shana Cravat. I'm the self-published author of Tales of Mundane Magic, Volumes 1 through 3. Ah, and uh, so can you tell us a little bit about this series and your newly released book? Sure. Tales of Mundane Magic is a modern fantasy story that takes place in a fantastical world where magic has always existed and has started to integrate with technology. Um, they are a collection of short stories, so each story is um, has its own plot arc, but the characters follow through between... Wow. Oh my goodness. Can I start that over? Yeah. I'm so sure. sorry. I usually have this pitch memorized. Okay. Um, <laughs> cool. Um... Tales of Mundane Magic is a short story series that follows two sisters who live in a world where magic and technology have combined, but it's still a modern world like ours. Um, each short story is self-contained, but the characters uh, follow through between them. The technology keeps going and you see more examples of it as it goes. Um, and it's just a bunch of fun, whimsical adventures um, where you know that there's... Wow. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry, you guys. <laughs> You're okay. You're fine. Like you, you don't can have talk to, about you it don't in a way to that say it all at, all at once either. Like you can, yeah. you can talk, talk about, about it, it in a way that isn't too. the spiel if you'd be more comfortable doing that. Yeah, yeah. sure. Don't um, worry about it. <laughs> sure. Right. Yes. Okay. Uh, Tales of Mundane Magic is a series of short stories. They take place in a world that um, is modern, like our own, but uh, magic has always existed. So magic and technology have started to intertwine. Uh, I get to explore the ideas of, like, phones that cast spells and cars that drive themselves, not with AI, but with magic. And my favorite part is that the main characters have the, have, um, they used to have a dog, but the dog unfortunately <laughs> passed away. And now the ghost of the dog follows them around. And it's just really fun and whimsical and, uh, in my opinion, a nice and fun read. <laughs> it's lighthearted. So, you've, uh... Right off the bat, if the dog is dead, something has happened to the dog. Can you talk a little about the way that trauma works in your writing? Yeah. Um, it's very interesting that you asked about the dog because I realized very early, uh, the dog's name is Ziggy. I realized very early that I wanted there to be a ghost dog because I just find that idea very fun and interesting to explore. But um, so I have a dog of my own. His name is Atlas. I adopted him when he was a bit older. So he has um, quite a few health issues. And it's one of those things where it feels like every year he has a major health issue where me and my partner are worried that, you know, are we going to figure out what's wrong? Like, is he going to make it through this thing? And so I kind of realized after I invented the character that I definitely wanted a dog. Like, I wanted a dog that couldn't be hurt. And so even though Ziggy has died, and obviously that's very sad, it's like, oh, the characters don't have to worry about him, though, most of the time, because, like, he's just mm -hmm. always there. He can't be hurt. Um, but then, yeah, obviously they had to deal with it in the past at some point. <laughs> um, right. So kind of jumping off of that, do you generally plan traumatic events ahead of time for your characters, or do they just kind of unfold as you write the story? Like, how much pre-thought goes into that? Um, so all of the past things, all the things that happened previously, so what caused um, Bridget to have her enchanted eye, what, uh, you know, what, you know, the, the fact that Ziggy is dead, I'm not sure I have a canon explanation for how that happened yet. Um, and like why Peter wears his necklace, all of those past events, I definitely like knew going in that I wanted to build characters that had these backgrounds. In terms of traumatic things that happened during the story, 
it is more I know where I want this character to go I know what I want them to become and so figuring okay. out the trauma that happens to them that sort of leads them in that direction um, is something that I will sometimes discover. Sometimes I might have a specific event planned um, because Vivian's introduction episode is one of those events. I feel like I went into it knowing that. Um, okay. But, but a lot of the times I do just sort of discover it as it goes. And that's part of the fun for me because I think if you have a very strict plan, unless it's unless, for multiple stories, a very strict plan, I feel like you lose the discovery aspect. And it's very nice <clears throat> to just sort of see what happens and see how you get to where you want to get to go. So I actually have another kind of question, kind of still kind of leading off of that first question about Ziggy. Do you ever, and you kind of answered this a little bit, <laughs> but uh, just because it might apply to more characters. Do you ever put in traumas for representation sake or to work through things that you've experienced uh, or to flesh yes. out a character <laughs> and give them motivation for something? Um, or is it it's totally very interesting online? I feel like sometimes I do that without like I, I'll put stuff I'll put flaws into characters that I don't realize that I'm struggling with or yeah I'll okay. have them have traumatic incidents that I don't realize I need to work through um, so not intentionally and then you kind of read it and you're like oh, <laughs> oh yes. no, that was me there was a very fun bonus story that I wrote for <laughs> Christmas this uh, this last year where it's about a fairy who's like trying to make the um, the in-universe equivalent of Christmas like super awesome and wonderful by trying to okay. control other people. And oh. I read it again and I said, I said to my partner, I'm like, honey, like this is so something that I'm trying to work on. He was like, yeah, wasn't that <laughs> the point? <laughs> like, oh, oh, really? Yeah. And I feel like and that, then, that happens oh a lot gosh. with the trauma. Um <laughs> I, I don't want to get too much into spoilers, but for the second okay. story, um, Gertie and Bridget go to a funeral. I had, I, I think it was about three months prior, I'd been to the memorial of m one of my grandfather's best friends who I had actually like known growing up. And I feel like that episode really, or sorry, that story really was me trying to come to terms with that event. I, I will say that and and this is, I don't think this is spoilers just because it's the structure that you have in your writing. I feel like the way that you have individual like snapshot sections of their lives kind of pulled out into short stories, I think it, it, it gives you, I don't know, maybe a little bit more freedom with that too. Yeah. Because you can, you don't have to connect yeah, all of the threads in between. You can just say, no, we want to look at this picture and we want to look at that thing and like... I don't know that like, that, they feel, can't that seems like a very freeing way of 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 writing this this world. Like they can't like they can't contradict, but you don't have to show us every single bit of how the machinations led to yeah. whatever yeah. event because stuff just happens to people. Definitely, yeah. yeah I very much, um, especially when I was starting out uh, writing these stories, I definitely was viewing them as almost episodes of a TV show, but just in the medium that I enjoy, which is uh, prose writing, um, where I was like, you know, there are episodes of like Full House that deal with, oh, this is the one of the episodes that deals with drunk driving. This is the one that deals with getting a new pet, like those sort of stories. And I feel like I leaned a lot into that in the beginning where it was just, here's an issue that I want to explore. How do I translate this into this world that I'm building out into? Mm -hmm. Okay. So you had mentioned like 
realizing that you're working through something um, have traumatic of related to that have a, has a traumatic event in your books ever changed your perception of a character rather than like your thoughts about yourself. Sorry, can you say the question again? Sorry, uh, has a traumatic event in your books ever changed your perception of one of your own characters? Yes, definitely. I think, um, oh, hmm, yes. Okay, I'm going to answer this generically, and maybe we can get a bit more into it in the spoiler section. Okay. Um, So yes, I think, I mentioned earlier that a lot of times I have a view of where I want a character to go, and sometimes... I'll be exploring the trauma that built them to have their motivation, sort of like the past trauma. And I'll realize that the fact that they've actually like suffered from this actually makes them a lot more sympathetic and makes them more interesting as a character. And that instead of not exploring that further, because as I'm writing it and as I'm delving into it, I go, this is actually fascinating. I want to keep this character around. I want to keep them able to grow out of this trauma as opposed to letting it like, live with them forever. Does that make sense? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And yeah, I would love to talk more about that in the spoiler section. Okay. Okay. We will definitely revisit it. That's fair. So, so do you have a good example without getting too much into spoilers of a marginalized culture in a books or what, if any, do you think is a good example of that? Yeah. So one rule that I have for the writing, at least in this universe, and then the books that I've worked on previously, is that, like, I deal enough with sexism every day. I don't want to write about sexism. Like, I want my books to be more of an escape for me and my readers. So I don't have sexism, homophobia, transphobia, like, racism. None of that really exists in these worlds. And I work very hard to edit my own language, because obviously a lot of stuff is internalized. Um, mm-hmm. I remember once in a story, I used the phrase like, you're just some girl. What do you know? And I was like, whoa, no, that's that sexist <laughs> language. Can't can't have the character say that. I can I have them this. be rude in a different way. Um, mm-hmm. So while I don't have, I try not to have any of like the real world neg- n- negatives. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like marginalization. Yeah. I do definitely want there to be sort of a representation of that in this world. So I mentioned a couple of times the idea of anti-magic sentiment. Um, mm. uh, I believe it's it's somewhat clear that Gertie and Bridget's dad is kind of uncomfortable with magic. He like yeah. accepts it and accepts that like they do magic, but it's just like doesn't want to talk about it. And I feel like right. a lot of times there's this idea of like, oh, like my parents are fine that I'm in the <laughs> LGBTQ plus like community, they just don't want to hear about the dates I go on, sort of oh, yeah. the idea I was trying to sort, not one-to-one, obviously, but just reminiscent echoing of that. Um, yeah. Right. And so, yeah, I definitely try to get those same, those same feelings of marginalization. But again, because it's supposed to be a more whimsical, lighthearted book, I do try to have that be like the echoes, the like setting details. Um, like it's extraordinary that there's this magical shop that both like the magic community and the non-magic community go to. And that's like treated in the narrative as a really cool thing, but I don't explicitly call out like, Hey, because some people sure hate magic in this world. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like you're drawing those lines without it being difficult to read. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, that's a good way to phrase it. Yeah. That is kind of how it felt reading it too. Mm-hmm. I'm glad. Like one one concept that we'll use a lot um, in our podcast is talking about 
things being magical analogs for other things. And in this case, you literally have a magic, <laughs> magic analog. analog for uh, <laughs> these these concepts from the real world. Uh, so tangentially kind of related to that, what since you don't want explicit racism and sexism and homophobia, what is your approach to incorporating visible characters of color? How, yeah. do you, how do you handle that? Um, that's do a really good it- question. This is something, so maybe to use another marginalized group, this is something I've really struggled with with trans characters because I would love to include, um, like, yeah, ki- trans characters. Um, yeah. But uh, it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, like if a trans person is passing, then it's not going to be something that's explicitly called out by the narrative. But if they're not passing, or like, how do I call it out without making it be because of transphobia? Um, right. And so that's something that in these stories, I haven't figured out how to tackle yet, but that I really look forward. I'm also working on um, some full length novels and things like that. And I'm, I am reaching out to my friends in the LGBTQ plus community and the, my friends that are trans and trying to figure out a way I should also be doing, I mean, I will be doing more research into how it's portrayed in other novels where transphobia doesn't exist. Um, as for, uh, uh, characters of color. I, in my head canon, like Vivian is black, Ernest is Indian. Like I don't explicitly like have any characters that are just very like white. Um, but that when I started out, sorry, I was just saying, okay. Cause I, cause reading it, I didn't actually know that, but it makes yeah. sense. Like if you say that, it makes sense thinking through like just how you've approached, like it doesn't clash with what you've done at all. Yes. It just, yeah, it's not it's not what I would have had initially picked up, I guess. Definitely. So, but also, no one's going around saying, "Oh, you're this, you look like that," right? Which exactly. is <laughs> yeah, it's it's a difficult challenge because I am white, so I always feel like I don't want to do anything wrong or offensive, and I definitely like the first book I wrote. Um, I think four years ago now, so it, it I was just kind of afraid to really try to say, "Oh, like." Like, you know, describing, I know, like, you don't want to describe skin tones in terms of, like, food. Like, that is right. very bad. Mm-hmm. So, like, I was just trying not, I tried so hard not to make mistakes that I made the mistake of never actually canonizing any of this. And oh, I'm gosh. working on, I'm working on, like, actively <laughs> undoing that by trying in the new stories, the stories that I'm still writing, like, working okay. on actually incorporating more explicit descriptions so that there's no confusion about that. Um, but on my website, mm-hmm. there is a character list and I've had people, I've commissioned some wonderful artists to draw my characters and like, they're very diverse. So we're very, oh, they're diverse. Cool. So That's awesome. Yeah. I, I actually really like that. I don't think I've ever, so, I mean, people have, have books come out with like jacket covers and things like that, but I don't, I don't think I've ever heard or seen an author commission work and just display it. Like, like, I don't think I, that's not really like a, a method I see very much, but that makes like a lot of sense. Cause if you're like, oh, what does this character look like? Well, here, look, I commissioned this, so it's canon. <laughs> Here's what they are. Here's how they are as a, as a character, as a person. That's really interesting. Yeah. I, I really liked it as, a, again, as a way of creating canon without possibly messing up in terms of like the prose. Um, cause yeah. a picture tells a thousand words. Um, yeah, yeah, and if uh, it's not fan art, if it's literally from you, then it's not something that people can can like say, "Well, well I don't think they are in my own 
You know, like you can, yeah. like you're, ex- you're explicitly as the author saying like, no, this is who they are. And that's, that's really powerful, honestly. Yeah, I'm glad. I guess I never really thought about it that way. But that's, yeah. And I'm, I want there to be representation. There definitely needs to be more representation in media. I feel like that's something that we've just been discovering again and again. Um, so you've got clearly some aspects of characters' identities that you've planned, whether it specifically is in the text at this point or not. Have you ever had a character surprise you with an aspect of their identity after you started writing? That's an interesting like you start- question. <laughs> um, so, sorry, I'm figuring out how to phrase something. There is a okay. big movement in the writing community, or not a big movement. There is a topic of conversation that often comes up of characters telling you, like, coming to the author and be like, hey, I don't like this. Tamora Pierce famously changed the ending for the um, Alana the Lioness series because the character of Alana came and told her, hey, I don't want to be queen. I don't necessarily mm. have, like... To me, characters are more, I don't want to say tools, because that is depersonalizing them too much, like (laughs) even for me, but like they are these elements of a story that I can sort of move around and manipulate how I want. That being said, oftentimes, like there, there have been a couple times where I've like reread something and, and been like, oh, actually this kind of suits itself towards like this journey that maybe I hadn't thought about. Yeah. But it really works. And it's like kind of already there in the text. So I guess it totally makes sense for this <laughs> character, um, like, you know, this relationship to blossom into a romance, even if it's not what I originally planned. And that's fine. So yeah. we've talked about the idea of like, oh, a character, like me having a goal for my characters and I'm reaching a trajectory. And yeah, sometimes it changes. I don't know if it's my characters telling me that, but it's def- I definitely see it in the text. So maybe yeah i mean that that counts like it doesn't have Absolutely. to be a an explicit like not conversation everyone or has anything. their characters like talk to them yeah um, uh have you ever had that happen with appearance or or with uh with racial or cultural identity you kind of kind of t- talked about it a little bit with like like romance and and like a character's um queer identity but but have you ever had that happen with their with what they just what they look like? Yeah, yeah, yes. I would say I discover appearances of characters more than anything because in general I don't I I try not to have a default for characters. Um, I'll often just be like, and this is a character, and then maybe I come up with a name. Um, maybe like you know, usually I try to have a really strong balance of uh, male and female characters because I still haven't figured out how again, without calling something out as, like, othering, how to f- figure out a non-binary character in my text yet. That's also something I would really like to work on, if I'm honest. When I'm introducing teachers and stuff, I'm always like, could I make them non-binary? It wouldn't affect the plot at all. Um, and that's really <laughs> something I should improve on. Um, but yeah, so, I, so in general, it's like, okay, if I have this character, Nick, uh, there's this character who's a bully, Nick Coffer, and there is one scene where he and, like, his his gang of miscreants um are are bullying another (laughs) character and i was like okay so nick i already have like a male bully character i don't want it to just like be men who are bullies so let's introduce this female character and then like they sort of just grow out of okay what am i thinking what am i feeling um how do they look 
Yeah, I, I'd say like I usually just don't have a plan. I'm usually trying to just create a very well-rounded and diverse world, but not in terms of like, well, now I explicitly need a black character, explicitly need an Indian right. character. Again, because it's a fiction, it's a fantasy world. So there is no like India for a character to be Indian. Um, mm -hmm. So it's more just, it's, it's, yeah, it's just whatever they happen to look like in this world. I'm not sure if that's the right way to go about it or not. No, that's, it makes sense. That's where I am on my writing journey right now, at least. So yeah, this you've kind of answered this a little bit, but I'm gonna like ask it as a complete question. Um, when you're building your characters' identities, are there any aspects you intentionally include other other than just just race and ethnicity or sexual orientation? Do you include neurodivergence? Do you look at body type? Is there is there anything that you are intentionally putting into a character? And if the answer is no, that's that's fine. It seems like you let you really like to let your characters just kind of happen and appear yeah. in the text, but I'd say I do like to let them appear in the text as what they are. I do think I want like the flip side of not describing someone explicitly is that if I decide that um like Gertie should be plus size because there's nothing explicitly in the text that would discount that, then like that can be canon and that can be something I I decide someday or discover someday in the same way that I can discover new rules about ghosts or like new magical technology. I can like put that in a later story because it was never like relevant prior to like that story. Yeah. Um, one thing I do kind of explicitly. So I'm someone who grew up with weight issues when I was younger and it very much felt like in books, no one ever talked about exercise um, mm. like it was either like you're the sporty kid and so therefore you're good looking or like you, you know, you're, you're not, so you're not sort of thing. Um, which I don't think is true at all. So one mm -hmm. thing I, I do, so like, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so Bridget like explicitly plays basketball and therefore she like jogs cause she wants to stay in shape for basketball. And I very much try to show her like doing the work. So if you picture her as like fit, cause maybe like that's your default view of a character, then like at least it sort of makes sense and there's evidence to support that in the narrative um, hmm. because I do believe just the idea of like oh this character is just attractive because they are is misleading and it's not true to reality so like people work to be very fit so I, I like I do that's something I do intentionally um, it's the same thing with Peter he's a swimmer and so like if he's explicitly like good looking in the text like there's something there to back it up if that makes sense gotcha do you consider your character's body image when depicting their traumas? This is kind of a weird one where, like, <laughs> I, I mean, like, things like, um, like, especially because a lot of, because with the way the magic works in your world, like, magic I've forgotten leaves about actual... Bridget. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, your magic, should... your magic leaves, like, actual, like... So, in these books, actual Bridget has... Things. Oh, sorry. No, you're fine. I was saying, in these books, Bridget has uh, an eye that is, it's completely white from an incident in her past that is explored in volume four, which is not out yet. And so one of the things that I did explicitly want for her was that she had very long hair because I wanted her to be able to cover it up because that is a trauma in her past that she still has not dealt with. Um, and so, so yes, I would say yes, in like especially for Bridget. It's like, yeah, I, 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 I did want her appearance to have this sort of thing that she, you know, a remnant, a physical remnant of her trauma that she would have to deal with going forward um, and that she still has not dealt with. So it still is this like source of anxiety for her. Um, yeah. So yes, I'm with sorry. <laughs> I don't no, know if that's no, what you're, you're going you're for. Good. But that true. was actually, that was the character I was, 
was thinking of. Yeah, I, I wasn't. I wasn't sure if we were gonna put that in the spoiler zone or not. But I guess it is in. It's it's, it's in chapter book one, one, book one, it's page yeah. two. I think. Yeah, yeah. maybe even. Yeah. Um, where's the line? I feel like it's like the second page. Yeah, yeah it's I the second it, page. <laughs> it was on my copy. <laughs> so with with Bridget and like talking about like this combination of disability and appearance, am I correct that she can't see normal things out of the magic eye? That the magic eye can only see magic. Yes. And her unaffected eye just sees normal stuff. Yes. Um, so that is true. Just for just have have you? Does that mean she doesn't have depth perception? Yeah, so it's interesting because she's a basketball (laughs) player, right? Um, Yeah. So, yeah, um, I have struggled for, I guess, four years to write the, like, Gertie and Bridget play basketball or Bridget plays basketball story. I literally have four drafts where it's like, I need to talk about this. (laughs) And, like, I want to want in volume one. work? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to... I'm going to go with that the magic eye helps a bit with the depth perception, but like it, it, I did want to sort of have her talk about the fact that she, in order to play basketball, like had to work so much harder and had to train, like, you know, practice with her dad, practice like with her sister, practice on her own, do like really work her way up through classes in order to train herself because she wanted to do this thing so bad. And right. Finding. So it's like when you, I feel like as an author, when I want to talk about something in someone's past, just doing like a giant flashback episode for me is not going to cut it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I need a present story that relates to the sort of the, excuse me, the past trauma. So. Cause if it's all I, a flashback, then we want to know why this didn't affect the two, three, four, six books in between the start <laughs> of the series. And when you decide to do a flashback. Exactly. Yeah. So So yeah, so I really did want to write a a Bridget Plays Basketball for volume one, and I just didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out the vehicle in time, essentially, like the, the, the the present day story for it. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm working on volume five right now, and I think I have it. And it is one of those things, (laughs) it is one of those things where I end up not addressing it as, like, I, I address um, again, in volume four, I have an episode that directly addresses her eye and how that happened and how that affected her and how that affected her life. Um, and, and for basketball, I've saved that for volume five. And it is more like I, I, I still need to go and re-edit this story because I have a first draft of it. I want to make make it more obvious how much basketball means to her and how that is connected to her eye and the idea of having to fight the depth perception and all of that. Um, but yes, it's something I'm aware of. And especially with the short story format, it's one of those things where like I can address it. Whenever I do have the idea, whenever I do have the story that it fits properly into. I have a mm-hmm. question kind of purely on this particular character, just about Bridget. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because I'm curious. <laughs> so she has one eye that sees the world as as everybody else does. And she has another eye that is only sees magic. Yes. Does Is there a, a difference? Because she, her missing an eye is a disability like she has this actual physical like limb body part missing not a limb but a body part missing is there a difference in how she navigates the world when she's in very very magic concentrated areas versus in more mundane areas um does it change how she functions so i i'd say yes i think 
So the whole concept of these stories is that this is a modern world like ours where people just live their lives and there happens to be magic. And Mm -hmm. that most of the time people would have just like a very everyday experience in this world. Like to them, magic is just like what have you. Minus, you know, people who are like afraid of magic or who only like believe in certified magic and anyone who's like brewing potions in their dorm room is a horrible person. Um, uh, I think a lot about the worlds that I create. Um, So yeah, so the idea that Bridget is always seeing magic, I think actually is why these stories can happen. Like a lot of them, I feel like, like a lot of times the sort of instigation of the plot is because Bridget can see something everyone else can't see, or she somehow like saves the day because she can see something someone else can't see. Um, Mm -hmm. And definitely as I like get deeper into the stories, I feel like I sort of, start in a more whimsical, lighthearted, like almost fairy tale place. And then as the stories go on, I sort of start peeling back the curtain of like, wait, but what does this imply? But what does this imply? Wait, if Bridget's seeing magic all the time, does that like, how does that affect her? Like her visions cause her pain. Like, what does that mean? And I feel like I really do start to go like, yeah, let's dig into this. Let's figure out what this does mean. And and I'm trying not to do the thing that people sometimes do where it will like ruin the previous lighthearted content. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a line to walk, but I definitely, I'm like, yeah, Bridget has to deal with this all the time and it's not easy, but the idea that she's still a teenager and like she has the rest of her life and that she does hopefully start to heal from this trauma and learn to like address what her body is doing and like heal, not like heal, like fix her eye, but like heal emotionally from that. Emotionally function and, and live anyway. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's something I really do. Look forward to releasing in volume four. <laughs> so excellent. One more question before we switch over to our our spoiler zone. Um, still kind of related to Bridget. Uh, do you tend to write disabilities based on a specific set of of references? Do you have you either either do you tend to write disabilities that function the way they do in our world or under specific rules that only exist in your world. Do you tend to write the culture of your book? Does the cultures hide their disabled or do they, do they incorporate them into, into light, into just everyday life? Are there accommodations for your disabled characters built in? How does, how does that really work? Yeah. That's something I didn't actually call out is that like, I really do think that in a world of magic where there are so many possibilities, I do very much believe that like, that is what allows the world to like not be sexist because, you know, women can use magic just as well as men. So like on, on that note, like where like magic can do anything or almost anything. Yeah. Like there can be accommodations for disabled people. And, um, uh, there's a character who like has a, a genetic disease that like makes him weak, but that he has like an enchanted object that allows him to like n- not have to suffer from that all the time sort of things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, especially I, um, there's, you know, Cressith, the, the country that most of the, yeah, most of the stories take place in, in this, mm-hmm. in these series, um, is one where it's very like magic and, um, mundane mixed. Uh, mm-hmm. I envision like there's also a country where it's almost like 100% magic. And so everything is very magical, like more like the moving staircases you see in Harry Potter. And I very much envision that one as like anything is possible, like just, you know, wave a wand, then all of a sudden every, like, you know, there are ramps everywhere, like stairs turn into ramps, and that's just not a concern, like, you know, very basic example. So, Mm -hmm. while I don't explicitly, like, say that in a lot of the stories, I do, 
I do envision it as like an equal, as a mostly equal world. And something again, it's like I, a fun place for me to explore how to make that happen a lot of the time. Something I really appreciate, um, just like reading through those pieces of the three books of yours that I've read, is that you do not use magic as a hand wave for why disabilities are healed. Or mm-hmm. like there there's a there's kind of a a tendency in certain areas of fiction to like unless unless books are explicitly about combat and people getting hurt. Um or or abuse and people getting hurt. There there tends to be like a, a trend in a lot of very um very popular fiction where you know, if there's magic in the world, it, it means that you break your leg and it heals instantly. Or, uh, you know, somebody doesn't need glasses anymore after going through a, a, a magical surgery, so to speak. Or, you know, and and that is not the same <laughs> as having a disability and being given a magical accommodation that doesn't erase that dis- disability. And it was honestly really cool to read through your books and and read about these characters where magic is gives them solutions and options but it doesn't negate that thing that happened to them and it's not a like a cure-all it's not a snap your fingers and it goes away and i just thought that was that was really cool and that was really it was i think it's i think you handled it really well it was really interesting to read without it being like and also your characters aren't aren't sitting around thinking like you know (laughs) <laughs> this thing that happened to me is all I have and all I can focus on. Like, no, they're full people. They're not just this this personification of that thing. Which, you know, again, like, when an author does that, it can be really dehumanizing. And instead, your characters are fully fleshed out people that just happen to have this thing that also, they have magical things to help them with that disability. And it's, I don't know, I really liked reading through that that part of these characters thank you um it means so much that you you feel that and that you notice that and just i appreciate that thank you so much like um asking about disability like is one of our standard questions and when i read page one of your book it was like well we (laughs) we know that there's going to be a lot to talk about here we were already (laughs) gonna ask but i'm like (laughs) We're not worried about what your answers are going to be. Yeah. I think it is interesting with Bridget where I I do, I I was younger and a little more naive when I started these books. And I do worry that I treat her disability too lightly in the beginning. And I do feel like sometimes I'm still making up for that. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm glad that I, I never treated it as, um, I guess disposable might be the right word or, or meaningless or. Like, I always knew that it was still something she hadn't dealt with. So, thank you. Mm-hmm. I mean, not having just... It, I, I think it would have been dismissive if you had just, like, dropped an explanation of the origin story and moved on. I think that that, that would have been trivializing it. Because now it's like, we've had three books worth, because we don't find out in book three, we've had three books worth of... I really want to know what happened with the eye, what's going on. And so when you actually tell us, it'll hopefully get to feel like something's being processed because the reader has had time 
to have there be something for the reader to process along with the character. So even if it's making up for what you see as a shortcoming, like there's definitely space for that to work. Thank you. That is definitely my goal. I remember the first time. So yeah, these, these stories are very much getting published um, quite delayed because I have a full-time job. My partner who um, is one of my editors has a full-time job. Like it, 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 it happens slowly. So I remember about a year ago, I had written the story of the, the backstory and my partner read it and he was just like, oh my God. And he, he went like, <laughs> I just feel like, he went, I feel like you need this sooner, but also I understand why you don't like, so mm-hmm. I hope that everyone feels similarly when they read it is, is my hope. I look forward to reading that in whatever year that comes out. <laughs> okay. What is your favorite non-traumatic thing in any of your published books? Including book four, because that'll have been published when we... Nope, book three oh, is any of my Book three book is three. the oh, one that will okay. have been published. Oh, never yes. mind. Sorry. Oh, good. My favorite thing? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, this is the first one that pops in my mind. Uh, but, uh, so I just, I, I, so in book three, um, there's the story Gertie and Bridget play road games and it appears in between the very heavy, uh, Gertie and Bridget watch hockey and the, the even heavier <laughs> Gertie and Bridget make a delivery. Uh-huh. And it was one of those stories where I was like, I need something light and I need something fun and I need a breath of fresh air here. Like... <laughs> It, it needs to be there. And people were like arguing about the story and like, like with me, they're like, you don't like, maybe just don't have it. I'm like, no, it needs to be in there. And I just love the final form it took because of this sort of disagreement. I love just ha- that it is kind of just like whimsy and it is just like, I mean, until they get worried about being caught in a time loop, yeah. like they're playing games. They're holding their breath when they go through a tunnel, which is very similar to something me and my sister do in tunnels. And like, <laughs> Just this idea of like, these are just them hanging out and being teenagers and having a good time. And you get to see these relationships that have like actually started to bloom. I love that story a lot. I also love that Charlie's an ostrich. Yeah. For the whole part <laughs> of the thing. <laughs> um, which we haven't talked about at all, but it is a lot of fun to write. <laughs> cool. All right. Uh, do you have, so this one I know is kind of a, like, this might, this might be a question from, from when you were younger, she kind of said there was a, a, you know, like you've had a gap of had a gap of reading of other reading. books. Do you have a favorite book written by someone else? And if so, what makes it your favorite? Yes, I do. Uh, I really love Tamora Pierce's Protector of the Small series, specifically the third book, Squire. Mm-hmm. And it is my favorite because I always really identified with Kel. Well, when I was growing up, I really identified with the main character, Kel. Um, uh, and it's just the book where she really starts to come into her own, like as a person. Um, and you know, she finds like a mentor she, that she actually like identifies with and she makes friends and she's learning and she's growing. I just think as a reader, when I was younger, I was like looking forward to that happening. Like it gave me this sort of like, someday I will find my people and that will be awesome. Um, and, uh, and it like happened, which is great. And I do think that books that give young people hope like that are so important. And it's still my favorite. Cause like every time I reread it, it just makes me happy. And it brings me back to that place of like feeling like you belong. So that's why it's my favorite. What types of books are you interested in reading more of? 
Or like, what are you looking for in future stuff that you'd like to read? Yeah, so I, yeah, I had a, a gap year of, I had a, not gap year, a gap of reading um, after college kind of made it hard to want to read for fun. Um, I really want to read, I don't know, I really want to read books that didn't exist when I was young. Um, like more diverse books, like queer books, just books that show me things that I didn't, that I don't know, that I didn't know back then. Um, and just reading people getting to tell their own stories because I realized that I know very little about the world and I'm very excited to know more about it. All right. Uh, what are your pluggables? Where can people find you? Social media, website, whatever. Yeah. So I'm at Shana Cravat on, I was going to say all the social medias. There are a lot of social medias now. I'm at Shana Cravat on Twitter, Instagram, I guess those are really two. Um, there's a Tales of Monday Magic Facebook page. My websites are shanacravat.com and talesofmundanemagic.com. Uh, my books are available anywhere books are sold, but especially indie bookstores because supporting indie bookstores is really important. <laughs> so if you can't afford to shop indie, please do so. But yeah, you can also get my books on Amazon because they, <laughs> they do that. Well, actually, uh, there is a competitor to Amazon that bookshop.org be- yeah bookshop.org um they're really great i just i just ordered books from them and they shipped out like the night i sent the order it was amazing um so yeah uh and yeah i have links on all like on my website to, to where everything is so yeah excellent and then if anyone wants to find us uh for books that burn you're listening to the podcast right now but we also have our website books that burn.com if you'd like uh written reviews because you need more of our opinions on books but we only have episodes every two weeks you can check out reviews.booksthatburn.com where i am reviewing every fiction thing that i'm reading and uh we're at Books That Burn on Twitter and Instagram. And then we have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash books that burn. And a group, if you want to talk to people about books, that's facebook.com slash groups slash books that burn. So we lucked out and got pretty consistent handles everywhere. <laughs> Same. I'm, I have a very unique name, so uh, it's pretty easy to get like my website mm-hmm. and my handles. <laughs> Well, Shana, thank you so much for joining us. And the if you're listening to this episode, or eventually when we have a transcript, if you're reading the transcript, that means that this book is that Tales of Monday Magics volumes one, two, and three are all available for you to get if this interview has intrigued uh, you. We hope it has. Shana, thank you very, very much for, for being with us and talking to us about your books. Of course. Thank you so much for having me.